And today I want to preach a message called The Obedient Child of God. The Obedient Child of God. Last week we talked about the obedient servant of God. Now this has a lot to do with service as well. In fact, chapter 2 of the book of Philippians is really uh, finding joy in our service to God. And so service is the focus of this chapter. Chapter 1 was on suffering and realizing there's joy in suffering for the gospel. And so we're talking about service here, but emphasizing now this aspect of being a child of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure." Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And so what we're going to look at today is the aspect of the obedient child of God. Now, the word here, as the sons of God, a son, just for you ladies here, it's not just referring to men, amen? So we're not going to change the Bible over this, uh, you know, which many people would probably want to do. But the word sons here actually means to bring forth or bear children, a child, male or female. And so when it's used in this sense, it's talking in, in a generic sense, a son of God is either male or female. Uh, it's not just referring to the aspect that only a man can hold forth the word of life. Amen? Ladies, you're supposed to too. And you've got a responsibility to, have a, uh, to set an example as well that people can see. So in order to be a, uh, an obedient child of God, we need to have a couple of things. I want to bring out a couple of points here today. The first one is this. You need a right relationship to serve God. A right relationship. And these are things, just as I was going through this passage, that just kind of stuck out to me. See, the type of servant that we are uh, is different than what the world understands. Uh, the world understands what a servant is, and, and sure, there's many aspects of what a servant is in the world that you can apply to being a servant as a child of God. But there's one big difference between us as servants than the world's idea of what a servant is, and that is we have a relationship with our master, a relationship. And not just a servant-master relationship, we have a father-son relationship. And that's what makes all the difference for us as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That we can receive the adoption of sons. And it says, And because ye are sons... God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I like this next verse. It says, Wherefore, or because of that, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God 
through Christ. Amen. The Lord wants us to serve him. And so we regard ourselves as the servants of God. But to him, he's not just saying, oh, you're my servant. He's looking down and saying, you are my son. You're my child. That is a wonderful relationship to have. And folks, you can't serve Christ unless you have a relationship with him. Amen. Now, a relationship and fellowship are two different things. Uh, you all have a father, but you know what? Sometimes things happen that break the fellowship with your father. And many times it's because our disobedience, we, we do something wrong, and it strains the relationship, it strains the fellowship. But guess what he is? He's still your father. That never changes. So when you are born into the family of God, he becomes your father. But you know what? What we're talking about here in relation to service, to actually doing something for God, to reaching the world, to shine as a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, we not only need to have a relationship, but we also need to have fellowship. Amen? Fellowship. So vital because there's many children of God that even though they have a father in heaven and they're going to heaven, they can be a light in this world. They can't shine. They don't shine. And for one reason or another, amen? And so we need to look at this a little bit. In John 1 verse 12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Amen? So when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not just saved, but you are brought into his family. Now, I think of what the Lord could have done. He said, okay, I'm going to keep you from going to hell. I'm going to die for you. And then I'm going to give you a little place you can go hang out, but I don't want anything to do with you. I just want to save you from the fire. Amen? No, you know what he did? He said, I'm going to save you from the fire, and then I'm going to adopt you as a son, and then I'm going to make you a place by me, and I'm going to want you to live with me for out and throughout eternity. That is amazing. That is amazing. Folks, we as a servant, we're not serving because, oh, do I have to serve God? Oh, it's such a... We are saying, man, everything God has done for us, our Father and the relationship I have, I want to do everything I can for Him. Amen? Do you understand? There's nothing more important in this world than you pleasing your Father. Nothing. Now, many of us, I think, because we grow up with a skewed view of a father-son relationship. Uh, many times the first idea that a child has of a father or their father in heaven is their father in the home. And sometimes that idea of the father in the home messes with their head about their idea of the father in heaven. And so then they don't really necessarily want that relationship with the father in heaven. But they don't understand how good it is. Amen. The Bible says that he is a father to the fatherless. Now, we know that everybody has a father. Everybody has been born by some father, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, when the fathers of this earth have abandoned you, he says, I will be your father. See, he's better than us. I want to be the good father to my kids, but can I tell you something? The father in heaven is a better father than I am, even to my kids. It's amazing, but it's true. And I love that because after I'm dead and gone, you know what they have? They have a father every day of their life. 
that'll take care of them, that loves them. And I hope because they love him for what he has done for them, that in their hearts they'll say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. Not because I'm, I, I need to pay a debt. That's never what it is. In fact, if you're serving to pay a debt, there's something wrong with your service. Amen. You're serving because you love him. The Bible says, by love, we serve one another. Because we've been set free of the bondage. We, the, the, the law has been met in the demands. The demands of it have been met in Christ. And so that's all been stripped from us. Now we can freely serve him from our heart because we love him. And that's the way we ought to serve God. That's based on relationship. Not just because I have to. If you're in a have-to religion, I'm coming to church because I have to. Maybe some of you kids, your dad had to grab you by the ear this morning and you're going to church. That's sad. It's only because you don't understand the kind of relationship that you can have with your Father in heaven. And if you truly understood him, you would want to. <laughs> you would sacrifice a lot for it, by the way. You would, if you truly understood. And so, <clears throat> this aspect of shining as a light in this world, that is definitely coupled to the fact that I'm a child of God. I can't shine as a light if I'm not a child of God. There's nobody that's lost that could ever shine as a light. In fact, they're in darkness. They live in darkness. They cannot have any light whatsoever. But the Bible says that in God is no darkness at all, and I am in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am now have become light to this world. So only a person that has a relationship with God can truly be a light to the world. This is important. And so to shine means to give light or to illuminate. This is important. You can't do this hiding behind in the basement. You can't do this not wanting anybody to know you're a Christian on the job. Amen? Well, I don't want to cause any problems. No, you just don't want to be a light. You understand if you're a light, the first thing that's going to happen is people will see you and they'll probably have to adjust their eyes. Because they're not used to seeing light. <laughs> and so what you need to do on the job is understand if I'm going to go there, because of my relationship with my father, I'm going to be there and shine as a light. But I know if I shine as a light, there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are going <laughs> to maybe put on the shades for a while. You understand? Because they're not used to the glory of God. The glory of God is what works through you. It's not you. It's what God has done in you and through you. Amen. And it's hard to adjust for some people. And so they say, hey, you want to come to the bar after work? What do you do? <laughs> say, no, sir, I can't do that. I remember I had a missionary come through one time in my first ministry. And we went for lunch and we sat at the table there. And, and uh, the waitress came to him. She said, oh, would you like a beer? He says, well, I better not. She looks at him. She just kind of <laughs> dumbfounded. Well, why not? She says, well, I'm a Christian. <laughs> wow, novel idea. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I'm a light. I'm a light. I thought, man, I remember that. To this day, I just remember that. I love it. I love it. A man that's unashamed of the light that he wants to shine. Amen. We're supposed to shine that forth in this wicked world that we live in. But not all children of God are the children of light. You understand that? Now, you have the potential to be light, but you're not necessarily light because the light can't shine through you. There's something blocking it, and that's a problem. You're still a child of God, though. You still have a Father in heaven, but you need to work on this relationship. 
this fellowship. You need to get this work through because you'll never be used until you start walking with him, until you start obeying him, until you start loving him the way that you ought to. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4 says this, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. How much darkness in God? None. He is light. So that statement there is not just saying he is like light, but God is actually light. He is light. See, we need to understand something. When God created the world, he didn't say, let there be a sun. But the first thing he said is, let there be light. Amen. Guess what? The sun only came day four. Day one was light. What does that tell you? Now I've had people say, uh, you know, trying to reason out the Bible. Well, you know, it's just metaphorical. <laughs> well, no, he's doing this for a reason. He's trying to teach you that the source of light in your life does not come from the sun. It comes from God. Because God is light. Amen. And of course, anybody that doesn't believe God will wonder why he did that on the first day and not on the fourth. Why did he create plants before they need the sun to actually live? <laughs> Well, maybe that's because God is not only light, but God is also life. Amen? Amen? I mean, we want to scientifically explain everything, but I'm sorry, you can't look at creation week and scientifically explain it. Except for supernaturally. God. God is light. So, he says, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. In other words, he wants you to have a fullness of joy in your life. Let me ask you, are you full of joy? Did you wake up this morning with a sense of anticipation of what God is doing in your life? With a sense of anticipation what he's going to do in your life even today, this week, maybe uh, through your family, in your family, maybe some of the things you got going for God and you're just saying, Lord, I'm so glad that you used me. Even though you're going through trials and trouble, you still have joy. But he says, I'm writing these things to you because I want your joy to be full. So you can obviously, as a believer, have a time where, you're, where you don't have fullness of joy. But he wants you to have it. So he goes on to say here, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Amen. So in other words, all you hypocrites out there. All you ones that pretend like you're walking with God, but really behind the scenes you're doing wicked and evil things. Can I tell you something? The Bible says you are doing not the truth. You're a liar. Oh, don't you be a liar before your God. Don't you be a liar before your Father in heaven. Amen. I know we like to dress up our errors. No, sir. Be honest. I'm battling, preacher. Mom or dad, I'm battling. I need help. Let's get help. Never cover up. Oh, my friend, that's a mask that we put on. That's hypocrisy. That's the reason why the lost people of this world don't listen to Christians today. Because we're pretending. No, sir. I'm not saying you got to broadcast it on the street corner, but I'm saying do not pretend. Amen? Deal with it. What steps you need to take? Deal with it. Do you understand if God's in your heart, you've got everything you need to be right? 
All you need to do is reestablish that relationship, that fellowship with God in heaven, and you can once again shine as a light. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't it just, just warm your heart to know that God can use you as a light if you want it? Folks, do you want that? Are you? Are you a light? It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That aspect of cleansing isn't just a one-time event. You see, if I walk in the light, and walking in the light is basically me walking according to the light of God's word. I'm making decisions based on what God has asked me to do. That's walking in the light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if I make that decision to walk with God according to his word, the Bible says that the blood of his son on a continual basis will purge me and cleanse me where I'll become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll shine more and more. Isn't that what Daniel talks about? That we'll shine his light more and more. Talks about an increasing light out of our life. See, when you walk with God, your light begins to increase. So we need to make sure that we're walking according to the word of God. So the blood is a cleansing agent in your life. And it's active. That's why many times when we're where we're dealing in prayer, where we sense that Satan is working, we'll say, Lord, I plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I plead the blood. The blood is the victory. The blood is the power. That's what, that's what sealed the fate of the devil. That's what makes the devil shake in his boots, is that blood that Jesus Christ shed for us. But when you're walking in darkness, that blood does nothing for you. It doesn't. All you're doing there is, is hanging around. You're not becoming better. You're not becoming more sanctified and meet for the master's use. You're not being cleansed. <laughs> because it takes truth and light to expose your darkness. It's very important that we see this. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What that means is this. If I can walk around and say, I've reached the, the place, I'm, hey, I'm okay. <laughs> All that's doing is telling people that I'm not allowing the light to expose the darkness that's left in my life. See, you're not around the Bible. You're not reading your Bible. <laughs> when you don't read your Bible, when you don't spend time in the principles of God's word, your errors never get revealed. Amen? But when you are, when you're reading your Bible every day and you're not just reading it, but you're actually trying to comprehend. <laughs> I know what reading is like when you read through it. Did I, read, did I just read that chapter? I don't know. Let's read it again because we get so distracted. But we have to read it with intention to know what the author wants us to understand about him. Amen. And so we're, we're reading it. And during that time, that light is coming on and revealing the errors. Saying, man, I've been thinking wrong about this. So what do we do? Well, because we're walking towards the light and we're allowing the light to expose the darkness, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is the process of a child of God that walks in the light. 
you will always become more cleansed as you walk with God. But to say I have no sin, all it's saying is, all you're saying is, is that you're not spending time in the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Because any person that's born again knows until Jesus comes, this book is going to be a mirror to your soul. And it's going to show you all of your problems. Not only just direct sins and big sins, but maybe some things you're not doing that you should do. There's sins of commission. There's sins of omission. They're just as bad. It's just as bad not to do what God's asked you to do than to do what he's not told you not to do. You understand? They're both sin. It's both missing the mark. That's what sin is. Missing that perfect mark. You understand? But as I'm spending time in God's word, fellowshipping with him, guess what? He cleanses that and that light grows. It grows. I become more effective on the job at reaching people. I become more effective in church with the church members and being a help to people and a blessing to people. Amen? That's only as I'm walking in the light. So I need the right relationship. Um, the next point is I need the right spirit to serve God. The right spirit. Um, two things that will ruin our service to the Lord and hurt the church and hurt God's people. And if we're not in fellowship with God, these are two things that will happen. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Now, murmurings, it doesn't sound like a bad thing. It, it sounds like, okay, it's not great, but it's not that bad. <laughs> you know. But you know what? To God, it's one of the worst sins that you can commit. In fact, in Israel... He destroyed thousands of people because of murmuring throughout their growth. And it wasn't, it's not like he did it right off the bat. So here you are, you're growing in your faith. It's hard. You never realize it's going to be this hard. So what do you do? You murmur. <laughs> you complain. You complain about how hard it is. Or why do did, why did they have to do it this way? And you know, there's a time where God just says, you know what? I'm teaching you some things. And he kind of keeps his hand off for a little while. And you notice that with Israel... He didn't jump on them the first time they murmured. In fact, the first time they murmured, he actually gave them what they wanted. And a couple of times he did that. But there came a time where the line was crossed. And God said, the things that I've done for you to this point are enough to prove to you that I am for you all the time. So now, if you're murmuring, I'm going to deal with it. And sure enough, he did. Wow. Remember, Korah murmured against Moses. He thought Moses was lifting himself too high in leadership. And God just says, well, we need to straighten that out. And so he destroyed his whole family. They were swallowed up by the earth. Short time later, what did the people do? They remembered that. And you know who they attacked? Moses. <laughs> they attacked Moses over the earth swallowing up his family. And the reason why that what God was dealing with now was the fact that they were murmuring against God's plan. Murmuring. So God sent a plague, killed thousands of them. Just for murmuring. Because they didn't trust what God was doing. And this is something we need to understand here in this. So the first thing is discontentment. See, murmuring is a sign that you're discontent with life. See, discontentment is not a good thing. 
Discontentment is a statement that you really don't trust God. It's a statement that you really don't believe God is going to look after you or take care of your future. You're worried about things and you're discontent about what you have. Maybe you're complaining to your husband or complaining to your wife about this, that, or the other things that you have or don't have or the house you live in. Thank God for what you have. It could be a whole lot worse. (laughs) The Bible says that Israel was much discouraged because of the way. They discouraged themselves in their discontentment. And that's when the Lord sent the fiery serpents. And it bit them. And many of them died because of these these things that we as Christians don't really call sins. Amen. But they're the worst sins in the church. Folks, don't be discontent. You know, sometimes me as a preacher, I I got people coming in and you know they have expectations, you know. And you want to do everything you possibly can for people. But you know something? We don't have all the programs. We don't have all the fancy stuff. I got the big screen TV. (laughs) You want it? <laughs> we don't have a lot of stuff. This piano is 25 years, no, 25 years old. My wife bought it before we were married. Been using it in ministry ever since. We put it together three or four times. It's falling apart. And the Lord just keeps those electronics connected. I don't know what he's doing, but you know, we're using that thing. We don't have a lot. That's one thing I really enjoyed about COVID. COVID just taught us something. It took away everything. It took away all the little peripheral things. And, and then, it, then it said, okay, now what do you got left? You know what we had left? All we had left was this and this right here. All we did was just plop this in the center. Everybody just came and sat in their chairs and listened to the word of God. And do you understand that's all you really need in a church and the fellowship of one another? Amen. Programs. I've had people email me. What kind of programs do you have for my children before they'll come to visit us? Because if I don't have enough programs, we're not going to visit you. I feel like saying, probably not enough for you. <laughs> but I don't do that. <laughs> I just kind of answer the best I can, realizing they'll never come. Anybody that starts coming to a church and saying, what can you do for me? It's probably not somebody you want in the church. Do you understand that? Somebody that comes in this building ought to be, dear God, I need you. And you, you know, you're not so puffed up that you want to drag, oh, we need this whole, I mean, never been disciplined in your life and you're like a spoiled brat. Do for me, do for me. These people just hurt churches in the long run. Amen. What have you done for others? You understand that? You understand the biggest critics I've ever experienced in my life as a preacher have been people that do nothing for God. Why not? Why not? Well, they do nothing because they're so busy, busy wanting people to do for them. That's why they become critical. See, if you're a person that's always complaining what people don't do for you, you're a person that doesn't do anything for them. You realize if you do something for someone else, you'd be so busy trying to help people You forget about yourself. You deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow him. The aspect of the Apostle Paul, even in this passage, he says, it's a joy for me to be sacrificed for your faith. I'm a sacrifice. What are you going to do for me? Discontent. I'm going to go to that church and see what they can do for me. 
And if they don't do it, I'm going to leave. <laughs> don't bother coming. We're going to be worse for you being here. Wow. And please keep your criticism to yourself. You know what? We're fighting for souls here. We've got families that are hurting. It makes me sick to have to deal with people that are just belly aching when there's real things happening. When really what you need to do is get on your knees before a holy God and get right. You don't need a preacher or a church to do that. You just need a little conviction in your heart. A little reality dose here of where you're at. Stop sucking the life out of everybody else and maybe start giving a little bit. Give your time and energy. I always say there's givers and takers. There's people that give and they give until they've got nothing left and there's takers and they'll take until nobody's got nothing left. And they'll say, you got nothing else? And then I'm throwing you out. Discard you. Don't be a taker. No way. Be a giver. Amen. Can you imagine if all of us in this room today would say, I'm going to be a giver. What would happen to the church? Do you think there'd be any needs in this church? All be met. Because as you're giving and you're emptying, others are giving to you and you're filling. And you're taking what they give to you and you're giving. And so we're just, it's a, it's a movement that's happening in the body of Christ and nobody is just taking and taking and just puffing themselves up. What they're getting, they're giving. Amen. That's how the church is supposed to operate. But imagine if all of us would make a decision to let's all start taking. <laughs> what would happen? See, that's why it doesn't work. That's not God's plan. Everybody keeps taking, we'll suck the life out of everybody in the church. And we'll be miserable doing it. <laughs> Amen. But if we give, then the Lord says, I will give unto you. Press down, shaken together. Amen. I'm going to give you more than what you gave. That's a good plan. <laughs> Amen. That's a good relationship. So discontentment. Um, murmuring arises in discontented souls we can be discontented with our circumstances someone seems to be getting ahead of us or things aren't working out as well as we planned or and as a result we begin to murmur murmuring is one of those dispensational sins that grieve the holy spirit so much it can easily overtake us and if we're not careful become an embittering habit an embittering habit. It's always murmuring. With my children, when they start doing that, I catch them right away. I says, we don't complain. That's a complaining spirit. We don't want complaining spirits in our home. Amen. <laughs> you let that lip out a little more, I'm going to grab it and pull it right off. <laughs> Amen. We don't need that kind of stuff. That's not helping the family. Amen. Murmuring. Let's move on. Disputing. Disputing. In Mark 9, verse 33, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? But they held their peace. 
For by the way they had disputed among themselves, who should be the greatest? <laughs> Amen. So Jesus knew the disciples were disputing because he's God. <laughs> they should have known better. And then he goes to them and says, so why are you disputing? And they're kind of, they realize how stupid it was. They, they didn't answer him. It says, because they were disputing about who was the greatest. See, that's what disputing is. Disputing are stupid things that we say to promote yourself. And if someone spiritual would come to you and say, what are you talking about? You'd be too embarrassed to mention it. That's what Jesus did. He, he revealed it. <laughs> Amen. And folks, disputing, it's a, it's a spirit of thinking that you know something. I know more than you. We can dress it up in all kinds of ways. We can dress it up in religion. I know more Bible. Every time someone talks about, well, <laughs> you can dispute all kinds of things. Be careful. See, the murmuring happens on the inside first. Disputing is the evidence of the murmuring. Disputing is the evidence of something discontent in your soul. And so there's all kinds of disputes that take place. And it's usually you wanting to end up on top. You never let me get the last word. <laughs> you always got to have the last word. Well, because somehow that makes them feel like they're greater than you. It's a sin. It's a sin. There ought not be disputing in our homes, disputing in our churches. In fact, the Apostle Paul stated at the end of his ministry, they never found him disputing with any man. That's a statement he made. Now, he talked with a lot of people. He actually reasoned. He persuaded people. He preached. He said all kinds of things. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he said by the end of his, his uh, ministry that he never disputed with any man. In fact, in Acts 24, verse 12, it says, And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city. They were trying to accuse him of causing trouble. He said, I've never disputed. All I've done is taught the scripture. Amen. You need to understand that that disputing is a bad thing. It hurts people. It makes people choose sides. It raises up a fight. Causes division. Amen. That's not the way God works. He doesn't work like that. There's some churches that do that. <laughs> they operate by that. They think they got the right to dispute and divide. I'm sorry, that's not the way God works. Do you understand? I don't go into the church down the street and go in there and say, because I know better than you, I'm going to tell you this. Then go cause problems there. Do you understand? That's not how God reaches those people. Do you understand that he's got an inner work that he does? And you know what? If they are seeking for light, God will draw them. And he doesn't need anybody to dispute to do his will. Many of us have come from backgrounds. You know, and the Lord brought you there to a place. You learned something. He brought you to a certain level. Then you realize, hey, I can't learn anymore here. That's because there's something inside of you. You don't need someone to cause trouble to make you understand that you've reached the ceiling of that teaching. So what God does is he moves you to another place and he opens up a door. 
And you go there, and guess what? The ceiling is higher. And you know, because sometimes because the availability isn't always there for Bible preaching churches, that God can bring people through several steps of growth because they keep hitting the ceiling where they're at. This is from experience. I've been doing this 20 years. There's hardly anybody I've met that have not gone through that process. Now, we go, you should have never gone. But folks, you need to understand, you can say that, and I understand I would never send someone there, but this is their journey. This is where they came from. And wherever they came from, there was something that God did in them to bring them to the next step. And it wasn't because of you. It was because of him. Some of you are saying, amen. I came from a charismatic background. I came from this, that, or the other. I came from Mormonism. I came from... You had all kinds of backgrounds. Isn't it amazing that you end up here? And there's not one man here that could take credit for it? Because God loves you. He cares about you. My whole thing is when I get here, I'm not here to put down where you've come from. I thank God that he's brought you here. I thank God for the journey you're on. And I thank God that you're here. All I want to do is keep preaching high enough so you'll never hit the ceiling here. Do you understand? And if I keep preaching Christ, you never will. You'll have to, you'll have to leave because I spit too much. It's not going to be because uh, you don't get fed there. You will get fed here. <laughs> There's not a word in this book I will not bring out to you. As ugly as it sounds to you. Do you understand that? <laughs> we preach it high so people can keep growing till Jesus comes. Amen? Yeah. I don't preach my level. <laughs> if I'd preach my level, some of you would already be bored. <laughs> Amen? You'd say, man, I'm going to get a little memorial preacher. Come on, teach me something i got to preach his level. That way, all of us together, you know what we're doing? We're all looking at one person. You're not looking at me. I'm not looking at you. We're all looking at one person saying, you know what? Let's just be like him. He's the mark. Amen. He's the prize. He's what we preach. Amen. That's what it's about. So let's be careful about the murmuring, disputing. Let's make sure that we've become content with where God is. Are you content here? Are you content in your home? Are you content with your family? Are you content with the place that God has given you to live, the vehicle that you have in the driveway? I understand it may be a Ford. Not everybody's perfect. <laughs> Amen? But God gave it to you, and I praise God for you. And I praise God I don't have a Ford. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Ed. <laughs> You got a really nice Ford there, brother, I must say. For a Ford. <laughs> Do you understand that, folks? Let's just be happy where God has us. This murmuring, man, you got to stop that. That's going to put out your light. There's no Christian that will ever shine as a light with murmuring in their heart, ever. You're going to lose the ministry God has for you. He's going to draw you away from your opportunities where you can never be used. Be content. Amen. Don't be a taker. Be a giver. If you'll just be a giver, you be content. I'll tell you something. There is no level to what God can do in your life through you. Amen. 
My next point is the right testimony to serve God. And we'll leave it with this one. See, we got to have a testimony before this world. The Bible tells us that we have to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We're not the Hutterite colonies. We don't lock ourselves in from the rest of the world. The Lord says, I put you in the middle. And then he prayed for us. He says, says, Lord, Father, I I don't pray that thou takest them out of the world, but I pray that thou keepest them from the evil. He says, I want you in the middle, but I don't want the evil in your heart. I want the evil to stay away from you. That's the Lord's prayer. His prayers get answered, amen? (laughs) So that means you have the potential right now to be a light in the midst of a dirty world and don't have to use it as an excuse for why you're sinning. Oh, well, the world is wicked. I just couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Jesus prayed that that wouldn't happen. So if it happened, you're a liar saying you couldn't do anything about it. You can be pure in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. Amen. We're surrounded by darkness. Um, This generation of wickedness is polluting the nations of the world. And there's nothing you can do about it. They're going to continue to do that. It's crooked, it says. Which means it's bent or warped from dryness. So because of the lack of spirituality, it's kind of like a piece of wood that loses all of its moisture. It begins to warp and bend. <laughs> becomes crooked and dry. That's what the world is because it's refusing the spiritual water. Amen? It's crooked. It's perverse. Perverse means to turn or to twist throughout, to distort. This world is distorted. I, I really worry about Christians that put, give this world credit. Can I, I, you know, forgive me, but I can't give this world any credit. Do you understand that? Now, maybe you see something good in this system. I don't. (laughs) Everything is perverted. The politics are perverted. The systems are perverted. Everything's perverted. I don't go like a dummy into it saying, oh, there's good in everything. (laughs) No, sir. I'm in the midst of it, but it's crooked. And it's perverted. Amen? That's why I don't take their word on things. They will not raise my family. (laughs) Amen? Because when they try to raise my family, it'll be crooked and it'll be perverted. I don't even want them to teach my family. Because when the world teaches my family, it'll be crooked and it'll be perverted. Even though some of it sounds okay. One plus one does always equal two. I wonder, these days. The world is full of wickedness and darkness. And I'll tell you this. This world is looking for a reason to hate Jesus. And you can easily become the reason. God help you if you are. Do you understand? That's why he's telling us these things here. He's saying that we ought to be blameless harmless the sons of god without rebuke without rebuke blameless simply means they won't be able to find fault with you there's no fault harmless means 
There's no mixture of deceit. No defiling material in you. That means that you saw the world for what it is. You reject it. You're saying, I'm not living according to the world. I don't love the world. I love the Father. I'm going to follow the Bible principles to live my life. That's being harmless. In fact, the word harmless, the word harmless really is translated in different parts of the Bible. One place, it's it's translated simple. In Romans 16, 19, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Simple. Unmixed. I've talked to Christians that said, oh, you know, the more I know about this stuff, uh, you know, the better equipped I can be. I say, no, the less you know about it, the better equipped you're going to be. Just like the banks, you don't go and study all the counterfeit to know it's counterfeit. You study the real thing to know what's counterfeit. And we don't need to study all the cults in the world. We just need to study the Bible. <laughs> you know what the Bible says, you'll know what the cults are saying are wrong. Amen? So don't brag about knowing all the, all the religions of the world. You're supposed to be simple concerning the things that are evil. You're supposed to be harmless, unmixed, unmixed. That's what a son of God is supposed to do. We must not think that we need to know the world and its sinfulness to understand it. Don't think for a second that you need to go live in sin so you can be a better servant of God. That is foolish. I mean, a preacher that stands behind the the pulpit that has never taken a sip of whiskey has every bit of power of God on him to say don't drink as the one that has drunk it in the past. Oh, well, you've never done it. Praise God. And he's probably the right one to tell you. But today we think, oh, no, a person that has gone through the sin is the best person to teach you. I'm sorry, that's not true. I've dealt with uh, marriage breakups. And then one person says, oh, you know, I've gone through a marriage breakup, so I'm the best one to tell this person. I say, not necessarily. It depends if you've gotten right. Are you following God? Have you confessed your wrong in it? Or are you still justifying it? You are not the right person (laughs) to teach these people. You understand? Just going through experience does not make you the guru here. Amen? You need to say simple concerning the things that are evil. Without rebuke, that means irreproachable. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, this is a great passage. We'll leave off of this passage. Verse 1 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness Let it not be once named among you. Once. One time. God is telling us not one time. You keep your dirty, filthy talk about immorality to yourself. It's a shame to speak of those things which they do in secret. We're supposed to shine as lights, yet we're talking like the devil. Filth coming out of our mouth. You're no light. 
In fact, the world is looking at you and you're giving them a reason to hate God. You're giving them a reason to turn against Christ. You're giving them a reason to blaspheme the Word of God. Oh, we don't need this kind of preaching today, preacher. Come on. My ear needs tickling now. You need it straight between the eyes. We're living in the most wicked and decadent generation that has ever been for Christians. The world 50 years ago would be ashamed of where the churches are today. And we cannot put up with it. The world, more wicked, more wicked. The church, oh, we're better than the world. But you're sure worse than where the world was 50 years ago. I'll tell you what we need to do. Drive a stake down right over here. Let the world go. Drive the stake down. They'll look back at you and say, what is wrong with you? You are just not in tune with this generation. I mean, you got to look at the Bible. You, you, you've got to interpret through historical culture. When they started doing uh, homosexual marriages way back in the early 2000s, even before it became law, before it became a hate crime, that's what one of the churches in my community put out on a newspaper. Oh, we need to interpret Scripture through the prism of history and culture. I just think, oh, you're the devil. They were, they were the first ones to do it in the city. Ungodly, wicked generation. Driving the stake, my friend. The more they go away, the more you're going to look different, too far, too much. But God's going to say, there's my light. There's my light. If you do this, you got no light. There's no light there. You're just trying to make yourself feel good. At least I'm a little behind the world. <laughs> no, sir, let's get back to the beginning. Get back to the foundations. Get back to the principles of the Word of God. Let's give our families a shake. Let's go home and grab some of those videos and just chuck them in the garbage. Rock music, heavy metal ought to be burnt. Burnt. Not given away, burnt. It's demonic. Demonic things have to be burned in the barrel. That's what you do. Demonic movies, you burn them in the barrel. Demonic books, you burn them in the barrel. <laughs> you totally obliterate them. Because Satan uses them. Amen? It's an amazing thing. I've dealt with a lot of people, and I know I'm going off a little here, but I've dealt with a lot of people in regards to pornography addictions. There has not been one time where I've dealt with somebody that somehow the first time they saw it wasn't because of some supernatural thing that took place. One young man told me, he says he's walking to school one day and there were pornography pictures hanging in the trees along his pathway. In other words, you're probably not the first one to go look for it. Satan brings it to you. See, whoever had that magazine ought to burnt it. I remember there's one kid in our first ministry that he was in the neighborhood 
And he was walking around with a magazine. <laughs> and he came to our house. And it's amazing how they wanted to come to the light, right? He wanted to show our kids, and my kids came in. This is what this kid's doing. And I ran out there, and that kid was scared for his life. I says, where's the book? Oh, I threw it in the ditch. And I went over there, and I grabbed the thing, and I burnt it. He threw it in the ditch. All the devil's got to do is plant the thought, look in the ditch. Do you understand? We are fighting a warfare here. Enough of these kings, man. Let's drive a stake down and be a light to this world. Let's stop playing Christianity. Let's start being Christians. Because it's going to take a whole lot more than what you see in Christianity today to reach this world. And if we don't reach them, at least we'll know, Lord, we, st- we stood by the stake. You'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You understand that? Shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. By the way, if you are on pornography, get it out of your life now. Now it's destroying your family. You don't realize that your children are being hurt. They're being spiritually infiltrated by your sin. I've seen it too many times. Get it out. If you need to burn the computer, burn it. Get it out now. Please, I beg you, get it out. You don't understand the damage. It's terrible. It's drastic. And children hurt for years and years because of your sin. Get it out. You're allowing Satan into your home. Get it out. Get it out. Amen. And I'm not going to stop preaching that. You need to deal with it. We need lights. Let's be a light. There's people going to hell. People in darkness. And somebody's got to be something here. We've got to have this relationship with God. Amen. Do you have a walk with God? Are you walking in the light? If you are, you say, man, that preacher's making sense this morning. And I'm going to do something about it. Let's bow our heads. to give you an opportunity the Holy Spirit of God he is here today if you're a Christian he's in your heart you're a child of God if you're a child of God let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what he knows is keeping you from being the light and confess it If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Don't walk out of this room with that sin still in your heart. You can leave here clean before God. Oh, what a wonderful thing to be clean. What is it, Christian? Don't push it away. The Lord brought it to the top of your mind. I know it. Deal with it. Get before God on your knees and say, Lord, I'm giving it to you today. Please take it away. I'm sick of it. Oh, Lord, please cleanse my heart. What's the sin? What's the problem? Is it murmuring? 
Have you had a complaining spirit? Don't be smug with God. He knows how to deal.